we've been in this uh, Abide uh, 21, uh, so a lot of us have been doing some sense of fasting. How's that going? Okay. Is that, is that, is that, like, is that a fake woo? Nope. Right? That's a, I'm in hunger. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, there's, uh, whether you're in Sebring, uh, Ocala, or Lakeland, uh, there's a number of us that are doing some sense of fast. And it's been really cool, like, for my wife and I, we've, we've, we chose some things to be praying through. It's really cool to see God answer prayers throughout, even in the short term. But sometimes that fasting thing, it gets a little difficult. I mean, we've, I think we've said to each other, can we, like, stop this fasting thing? Uh, yeah, let's maybe slip back into the old patterns that we had, you know, priorities. And I know it's a, I know it's a tough thing, but the, the reality is that, like, God, God, God sees you, he hears you, like, it's really cool to be able to have this time just to be able to fast. So I just want to, I, I know that some of us are fasting from food, some of us are fasting from social media or whatever it is, but can I just pray for everyone here that's doing some sense of fast because I know that it's not the easiest thing. And if you've, if you've already felt, you know, like fallen off, right, you haven't made it that 21 days, um, there's a week left, all right? So like seven, seven more days. Can you do it for seven days? Can you start back on that? You know, and do it for seven days. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I, I, uh, I come before you and just ask that you continue to, to give your people um, the, the boldness to really take this thing and set it aside for the next seven days. Some of us are praying fervently through some serious stuff. Lord, I know that you hear our prayers, and Lord, I just pray that you, you, you give your people the, the ability to, to hang on, to, to set that thing aside for the next seven days, to really fervently put that, those needs, those prayer requests in front of you. And Lord, thank you just for you being such a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we, we continue with this uh, Abide 21 series, Living Sense. We're going we're gonna to take a look at Acts chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to really be focused on the first seven verses there in Acts chapter 6. I want to take a second to point out four different passages that help lead us to the point of this, where, where, where we're going to be in chapter 6 this morning and what's happening to Jesus' church starting in uh, the beginning of Acts. But Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says, So those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, chapter 2, verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In chapter 4, verse 4 says, Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. 
And in chapter 5, verse 14, it says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Jesus' church was on this steady growth pattern. And there, was, there was momentum being built. And, and we all know what has a, it, it, there's a, it, there's a, a tendency to happen. Like whenever there's some like momentum being built in something, what inevitably always happens? Like someone always is throwing a, a monkey wrench into the situation. And it's frustrating. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Like things are going so smooth and then bam. And then you just shake your head going, and we knew it was going to happen. So let's jump to chapter 6 in the book of Acts. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This morning, the main principle that we have in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 is this, to do our part in growing and equipping God's church, we need to grow up and recognize that we are in this together. Hence that Ephesians 4 passage that we read this morning, we all need to grow up. I hope to identify three types of people that will accomplish this great task of equipping. First is going to be there's going to be, there's three different people. There's going to be pundits in verse 1, and then problem solvers, verses 2 through 4, and then producers in verses 5 through 7. There's a result of the work. So when it comes to the pundits, there's a difference between a complainer and someone offering up a complaint. Bear with me while I, I break this down just a little bit. The, the first thing a person needs to do before offering up a, a complaint or someone hearing a complaint, is, is to question the validity and align it with God's word, right? In the instance of verse 1, we see that there's a complaint. The Hellenists brought something to their attention. And the first thing is that it is about others, not about them. We know from Scripture that people matter to God, right? And, and because people matter to God... What is that? Like, people should matter to us as well. But too often, I mean, most of our complaints boil down to, you know, the I, I, I problem or the me, me, me problem. As a believer in Jesus, we should be other people centered, right? I mean, go back to that Sunday school lesson that you heard back then or, or preschool. What is it? Jesus first, other second, and what? You, you last, you third, right? The second way we 
The second way that we weigh out the validity of a complaint is to see if it's an unintentional oversight, not deliberate. Right? Because here's the reality. We've all been guilty at some point of, of missing someone that was right in front of us. Some people are just aloof. Some people are just, they're so busy that they like have blinders on. I, I remember like Pastor Randy back in like, well, he still is this way. You can see Pastor Randy in a, in a, in a store, right? And he is just, he has the cart and he's just like this. If you step in front of him, he will run you over. He is not paying attention. To like he has a, he has a job to do. He's just so focused. There can be so many reasons for someone not seeing someone that's right in front of them. And it doesn't always boil down to maliciousness. You have to question, is it, is it an unintentional? It's an intentional oversight. That's supposed to say unintentional oversight. I didn't do that on purpose. I swear it says unintentional here. The Hellenists weren't complaining about what was being offered on the menu. They were, they were complaining because the, like, the, the widows weren't even being offered a menu at all. They, they weren't even being offered a, a, a seat at the table. That was the problem. Can I share something that Pastor Michael would probably never say? Before going to him with a complaint, could you ask yourself maybe three different questions? Is this just about me? Do I think this is being done deliberately? Is this a need or a preference. I believe this will help in, uh, in, in your interactions with him, and it will identify whether you're a pundit or a whiner. It will also set the tone for you either being a, crit, a critic, you know, whether it's being accusatory or constructive. The second type of person that you see uh, is that it is uh, the problem solvers in verses 2 through 4. All right. So you have the people that point out that there is an issue, and then you have the people who can problem solve. Now that we've identified that there's actually a valid issue at hand, let's go and solve the problem. Let's break down how the problem solvers worked. The first thing that they do is that they recognize that ministry isn't a Lone Ranger ministry or movement. The 12 summoned the full number of disciples. It's the same concept that we went over, uh, I think it was last month, a month before that, whenever we were, it was Vision Sunday, I don't know how, that was two months ago. Hmm? Yeah, November, that was a long time ago. But it's the same concept, that, that we're, we're stronger together. Not that we can't all individually think for ourselves, but utilizing a team can be powerful, right? We see throughout Scripture, and even, even Jesus had a team. He built a team. He utilized a team. He championed a team. The second thing is that they identify and communicate the order of priorities in the second part of verse 2. Remember, making sure that widows were taken care of, I mean, that was important, but you know, that's what started the whole thing. But just because something is important, it can't distract us from keeping the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Preaching the word of God. We have a story to tell, and that is of utmost importance. As the church, that, that's what tells the, you know, that tells our story, that, you know, how, like, 
preaching and teaching the word of God, like that's the thing that we're, that we're uh, trying to communicate to a world that needs to hear the story of how God has worked in our lives, what he has done for us. And we'll continue to work. We must actively pursue ways that allows our leaders to keep up the prioritized effort to preach the word of God. The third thing is that we need to delegate wisely. And this perhaps is, I, I believe, the most challenging. All right, so jump in the time machine with me. All right, go back to when we were a kid on the playground and we were choosing teams. All right, remember the emotion that went in choosing teams. I mean, if you're the one picking, there was typically a struggle not to hurt the person's feelings that you knew they were going to be the last one picked. You don't want to hurt their feelings. And if you were in the bottom three of people that were getting picked, the emotion of, man, I hope I'm not the last one picked today. Right? But the building up of God's church is not a kickball game. People's lives are at stake, literally. God has gifted each one of us uniquely, and by the way, it is on purpose. Leaders need to relationally connect with people to aid in the process and positioning people where they fit in and be proactive not only in, in, in positioning them but equipping them like the passage that we read this morning, allowing them to rise to their fullest potential. That's what leaders should be doing. And church, you need to be seeking God's, God's direction for how you can best serve the body and be proactive, right, in making yourself available. I believe our churches are filled with people who have exactly what it takes to, to meet all the needs that are arising in our churches. I believe that if we thought about it, that guy, that bald guy sitting right over there, he probably does some things around this property that perhaps could be done by some of you guys. That's a reality that most churches face. And I told you that delegating wisely was perhaps the most challenging. Every one of us is different. Everyone deals with emotions differently. Everyone's busy. We get it. We're all on different levels of spiritual maturity. The list goes on. What I hope you're asking is who can help? Where can they help? How can I help? And where are some areas that I can serve in the local body? The fourth one is to commit to the stated priority in verse 4. I do want to say that Pastor Michael hasn't said a word to me about y'all not actively serving. Uh, many of you are, right? It's great to serve the king with you. I just want to make sure that I'm putting feet on the passage this morning. There's, there's a reason why we do what we do. What is our stated mission? To invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. We, we all have an expectation to commit to something here. And it's up to each one of us to be obedient to Jesus and how that plays out on our mission. For some, it's making sure that widows are fed. Some, it might be mowing the grass or, or making sure that when our neighbors walk through the door that they feel welcomed around here. To be clear, Pastor Michael needs to have a high commitment level to devoting, eh, devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's, that's your job. 
Our collaborative goal is for God's church to grow, and it's up to each one of us to make sure that we're doing what we're called to do to accomplish our mission. And it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There's a, there's a reason for all of this, right? There's a reason for us to bring up needs, us to bring up those like, hey, oversights or whatever, and then there's a, this process of, you know, all right, let's, uh, how, do we, how do we deal with this situation? But there's a reason for it, right? There's a purpose beyond it, and producers produce. The pundits' views verified, problem solvers developed a plan. It's like, it's go time. How, how will doing God's work his way play out? That's really cool to see that in, this, in ver, the, just the beginning part of verse 5, you see that there's full buy-in. And not that that's 100%, right? Not that, all right, so everybody's, everybody's all on the same page, so that's like, that has to be of God. But you know what? When everyone is on the same page and there's no one, like, has an issue with it, I mean, that has to be, like, you have to go, man, I think God's in this. Because I don't know about you, but our, our nature is divisiveness, right? <laughs> we, we, there's always someone that doesn't like what we're doing, right? There's always the critic. I, yeah, that's my sister. I just, I was like, I wish that like every once in a while we can experience everyone all in one accord, not the car. But. The second thing when it comes to producers is that there's an execution of the delegation plan. Well, again, there's the purpose. Until you begin to execute a plan, really, it's just theory, right? We're just talking about it. I think that's where we are in, with the executive team in so many in so many ways. It's like we we've been talking about this for a year and a half. Like let's let's, let's start doing something. They chose wisely seven people. They they brought before the apostles and, and prayed and laid hands on them. And this is this is one area where I think that our current theme in this abide twenty one the living scent. I think that there's clarity in that that we're we're not called to be idle. We're called to be sent. We're expected by Jesus that, that in our going, we will make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us in our going. The third one is that there's a result of God's work. There's a, there's a, again, there's a purpose. What's the result? The word of God continued to increase and disciples were multiplied, just like every one of those verses that I read in the, in the, in the beginning from chapter 2 and chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's an increase of disciples and there was a multiplication happening. That's the point of our mission, to invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. Like, there's a point to it. There's a growth. Not just my vision or, or your mission. Like, it's our mission to do this, inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus, to do our part in growing and in equipping God's church, we need to grow up and recognize that we are in this together. It's a team sport. I can't speak for you, but I want to I want to be, be a part of something in Sebring and in Ocala and Lakeland that just 
that changes the culture of where we live. I want to be a part of something like that. I want to see people who have little to nothing to do with Jesus or this idea of Jesus. I want them to meet and follow him. And we can, like, be a part of that, right? I end with something that I found interesting as I was preparing to share with you this morning. In in the previous chapter, you see that the apostles were being tossed into jail and then they faced death because of their unwillingness to stop teaching about Jesus. Peter and the apostles' response to them were like, we're going to obey God, we're not going to obey men. And a a Pharisee named Gamaliel said, yeah, you're you're not going to want to kill them because the the council wanted to kill the disciples for teaching about Jesus. Gamaliel said, nah, you don't want to do that. Chapter 5, verse 38, if you have your Bibles, you can flick over there. Chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 says this. This is Gamaliel's uh, response. He says, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. We just went over what's happening in the beginning of chapter 6. But then Stephen, one of the chosen seven in chapter 6, gets seized and then he is brought before the council. He, he addresses them with a tone that was modeled, by, to, modeled to him by the other apostles. It was, it was bold, it was direct, it was truthful, all right? So let's jump to chapter 7, all right? So we got chapter 5, we went over chapter 6. Let's go to chapter 7, verse 51. As Stephen concludes his address to the council, he says in chapter 7, verse 51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, it says, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, 
Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, and Saul approved of his execution. Almost done. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. There are two things that I want to highlight and then I'll be done. The first thing is, right, Gamaliel was right when he said, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Church, we're, we're in a continuation of their inability to overthrow God's people. I think that's awesome. God's people doing his will, his way. It's come to a point, it's, it's come, at a, I think, at a pretty extreme cost. It cost Stephen his life, but it's worth the investment. The second thing is that when Stephen gazes up, what does he see? What does he see? He sees Jesus, right? He's not sitting on the edge of his throne awaiting like, all right, what's going to happen next? He's standing there. Kevin DeYoung wrote this, and I believe it answers the question well. So why is Jesus standing instead of sitting? He says, it is for this reason. He has stood to receive Stephen's testimony and to be his advocate. He has stood that he might come forward to be the judge of those who will trample upon God's prophet. Jesus is rising from his throne to come to Stephen's defense and to judge his persecutors. It is the plain fact of Scripture. Whether we want to believe it or not, everyone is appointed to die, and after that, this comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. Jesus says in in Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Everyone will stand before the throne to face the risen Christ. And it will not be a light thing. When you are there, you will see the Son of Man in all his glory and splendor and majesty and power rise from his throne and stand before you. You will not laugh your way into heaven. You will not have a couple witty rejoinders and a little bit of snark and a good one-liner. He will not be impressed with all the reasons you have of why you ignored him. You gave me bad parents. I didn't know any better. My life was unfair. When the Son of Man rises from his throne, he will not consider our apathy, our disobedience, our unbelief to be a light thing in his presence. He is not a tame lion. He stood, he says, to vindicate Stephen, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Church, It's that main principle. Let's do our part, right, in growing and equipping God's church. Let's commit ourselves to growing up and recognizing that we are in this together. His church will grow and then we'll meet him face to face one day. The question is, are you you ready? 
Are your neighbors ready? It's a passage like this that we have to, that we have to think through. Why are we doing what we're doing? It's important, right? It's important for each one of us to know, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we belong to Jesus. Like we have surrendered our life to him. It should break your heart, the neighbors that we have, the people that we interact with, if they don't know Jesus. There's going to come a point, right? There's going to come a point where we're all going to be standing face to face with them. I'm looking forward to the day, but I know way too many of my friends, that's not going to be a good day. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we can read through a passage that really is focused on people and what they're doing with the good news. That there's this recognition that there was, there was an oversight of someone not being taken care of. And making sure that widows are taken care of is very important, but the The sharing of your word is of utmost. Lord, I pray that with our lives, with our mouths, with our actions, Lord, I pray that the story of Jesus is shared with everyone that we interact with. Lord, I I stand in awe of a gracious God. I certainly do not deserve eternal life with you. But yet you set in your son anyway. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here or someone online or someone anywhere that doesn't have a relationship with you, that there's never been a surrendered heart, Lord, I pray that even now they can stop, they can pause, they can lay their life before you. There's a purpose behind all of this. There's a reason why we're doing Sunday morning. To be able to celebrate you. To be able to, to worship you. To be able to bask in your glory. To be able to sing praises. To be able to read your word. To be able to interact with your people. And it's all because of what you have done. What you're doing and what you're going to continue to do. Lord, we fall before you. And this ask that you do a work in us and through us. We praise you in Jesus' name.